Are you ready? Yes, I am. Then let's take a walk. Welcome to Two Redheads Walk Into a Podcast. I'm Dallas. And I'm Lori. We've got a very special episode in our autoimmune series for you today, as we are joined by Allison Coates, founder of Ames Charity and author of the Nutra Peanut Cookbook, over 100 tasty, low microbial dinner recipes for people with low immune systems and in post-chemotherapy, with an emphasis on HSCT. Step right up, because here we go. Good afternoon or good evening wherever you're listening in the world last week tech rage <laughs> man did i love beating the baloney out of that printer <laughs> at the tech rage room that i found oh best thing ever that needs to be franchised across the u.s so nice but i gotta say in getting ready for this episode it was fantastic to see how tech could actually be used for good right? It was, it was technology that helped connect you to this charity and give our listeners some great information that they may not have heard. It was such a random coincidence. Mm -hmm. So there is this makeup artist that I used to follow on YouTube 10, 12 years ago to, I mean, I still do, but I started following her 10 or 12 years ago. Her name is Nick and I followed her on Instagram when she started on Instagram. And I'd say a number of years ago, she was diagnosed with MS and she put, would put that in her stories mm-hmm. and in her posts and talk about it a bit. And I followed along on that journey with her. And then, as you know, I got my diagnosis, right. You know, around about that time. And at that point she was going to Mexico to do this procedure, this HSCT. And in talking about it, she had mentioned this charity that she knew about And she lives in England and it's called Ames Charity. And so I've been following them for a while on my personal account. And then when we started our podcast, you know, I started following them Mm -hmm. with our podcast account and just keeping up with what's going on with autoimmune here and there. Right. So it's kind of like, I I felt like just a little connected to them. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like this online connection that turned into something awesome. Because Allison, the founder, reached out to us and asked if we would possibly give a shout out to this cookbook that she was writing mm-hmm. for people who coming off HSCT or chemotherapy, and it's geared towards the nutropenic diet and talked to you about it. And we decided, well, how about instead of just giving a shout out for a book, since it's kind of like in our wheelhouse, autoimmune, mm-hmm. living better, living healthier, living easier. Right. Let's make an entire episode devoted to the charity and include the book in it. We felt it would just be so valuable to our listeners that we got together with her, started communicating. And I just think without Instagram and without my phone and without YouTube, this mm-hmm. connection would have never been made. Right. I, I'm I'm not in England. I'm not in Mexico where the she got the procedure done. Mm-hmm. I don't think this would have made the news anywhere. Exactly. Here. Because, you know, MS is just now, I feel like it's it's coming to the forefront. It's being right. talked about more, mm-hmm. especially in the United States. And when you're talking about some of these new therapies, 
as well, they're not making it right across the ocean, right? And this is the power of technology that is helping to get this information out that might be used for people who, one, are dealing with MS, but as you said, those dealing with autoimmune disorders in general. Mm-hmm. And then what I loved about getting in touch with, with Allison through this great technology path was that it can also be used for people going through chemotherapy, yes. which I know two people right now who are, and this would be an incredibly helpful piece of information for them to know. Without technology, we might never have known about this great way that you can use food and ways you should avoid certain foods to make sure that your recovery in these very traumatic times is more successful. Exactly. And it was amazing to me to read like what you should and should not eat to nourish your immune system when it has been compromised. Mm -hmm. I looked at a few other things and I'm just like, what? I would have, that would have been the first thing I would have eaten would be a a healthy, fresh apple. Mm -hmm. And it turns out to be a no-no. So this time technology gets a thumbs up for me. (laughs) Yes. And I think we should probably just go ahead and get into our episode with Allison from Ames Charity in England. I agree. Let's welcome Allison Coates from Ames Charity to Two Redheads. Allison, welcome. We are so happy that you could join us on our podcast today. Thank you. I've been really looking forward to it. Awesome. Can you, before we get into the questions, just give us a short introduction of who you are and your position with Ames Charity? So I am a co-founder of Ames Charity, which was founded uh, five years ago. Last week was actually when we got official charity status. So we're celebrating our fifth birthday at the moment. Happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. Thank you. So I am a trustee of the charity as well. There is a small group of us that are trustees of the charity and really do all the operational and strategic things because we are so small but everybody has a link with MS everybody apart from me has MS and most of them have also had HSCT which is hematopoietic stem cell transplant which we're going to talk about a bit later well I know that I found your charity through Nick Haste who is a online makeup artist that I have followed for probably over a decade And then when she came out that she had MS, I then started following her journey, the stories and her posts on Instagram. And that's how I found you. And I thought it was fascinating because at the time, Dallas, you were dealing with, you didn't know what quite what you had yet. Right. And they actually, the first thing they went to was MS. Oh gosh. Because of my symptoms. And so, yeah, we had to go through that whole process of getting past that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not MS, but- Exactly. As you were saying, and when we start talking about your book, you have a really good introduction to kind of autoimmune. And you mentioned there are at least 80 known autoimmune disorders. And Mm. when we say known autoimmune disorders, one thing that Lori and I talked about in a previous podcast, our introduction to the world of autoimmune is not all doctors know of the 80 different immune diseases. So you really have to dig deep, find it even when dealing with MS. Exactly. 
you've got the specialists for MS and then you've got the specialists who understand HSCT and immunology and so on. So it is a minefield. It really is. Especially because I know that there are many times when kind of different autoimmune diseases overlap each other. Very much so. This one presenting X, Y, and Z, and then out of the blue, you've got symptoms A, B, C. Yeah, we we hear it all the time. I've got this and I've also got this, this, and this as well. They seem to cluster together. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what does Ames Charity do as in your goals and objectives? And who is it that you're able to help? So Ames is short for autoimmune and multiple sclerosis, but we have a specific focus on autoimmune diseases that are hematologically rooted. So diseases like MS, and there's a plethora of other diseases that are hematologically rooted. And the way that this came about was because my husband, James, was diagnosed with MS in 2011, and it was already at the progressive stage at that point they said he had secondary progressive so at that stage there there really was nothing that was available to him you know they they weren't able to put him on any drug they put him on a trial very temporarily and while he was on that trial i'd been doing a lot of research in the background as i like to do and i'd come across this treatment called hematopoietic stem cell transplant otherwise known as a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. The more I read about this, the more it made sense to me because the, the drugs that are often used in, in MS, what they do is they suppress a highly overactive immune system. And I don't know, it just didn't sit very comfortably with us because we were thinking, well, eventually things are going to break free again. And, and she's often the way, often is what happens. But he didn't have any choice of any of those drugs anyway. But when we found out about HSCT, the purpose of HSCT is that it wipes out the faulty immune system and it resets it. So a little bit like rebooting a computer. Mm-hmm. So the way that it works is that, to put a long story short, the patient's stem cells are uh, harvested from them. So it's the patient's own cells that are used. The patient then has chemotherapy, which wipes out the faulty cells, the cells that are attacking the body, the cells that have have gone haywire. When that has happened and the immune system's virtually been wiped out to almost nothing, then the stem cells are reinfused and all they do really is they help the patient to recover faster. Now that's the kind of HSCT that is mostly used in the world today. There is another kind of HSCT which actually completely wipes out the immune system, totally wipes it out. And so if you didn't have the stem cells in that case, you wouldn't recover. You, you, that, that would be it because everything's gone. Right. With the kind of HSCT that is mostly used today, they wipe out most of the immune system, what is necessary. And because the stem cells are naive and have no memory of MS, Mm-hmm. They help them to to rebuild the system. So this was what my husband got in 2016. And he was really, really lucky because I think he was only the 17th patient at the, the hospital in London that had had it at, at that time. Now it's in the hundreds. Awesome. Still not enough. Okay. And uh, he had it on our NHS. So you, you know that the NHS here in the UK, so it's, it's free because we pay our national insurance and that's sort of how that works. What we were seeing at the time was that a lot of people were having to go overseas to get this treatment. And the aim of the treatment is that it halts the progression. You don't get any worse. That's what we're aiming for. Some people will get symptomatic improvements. Some some won't, you know. But the idea is that it should halt it where it is. And it does that with 
most people. So we were looking into fundraising to have it at one of the, the hospitals that Ames supports, because there are a couple that are really, really good that we endorse. And at that point, he was actually accepted to have it on the NHS, which really surprised us. So he was lucky enough to get the treatment and it has halted his progression. It's seven years this year since he's had it and he's still disabled. You know, he's still, he walks with a stick. He has a, a scooter when we need to go any distance, but it stopped him where he was, which is just mm -hmm. phenomenal. And he's seen a number of symptomatic improvements. Probably the biggest one would be cognitive improvement. That's definitely for him, the cog fog that lifted in the hospital, oh, yeah. which is astonishing. Wow. So from our perspective, we, we just felt we need to pay this forward. You know, we, this could have cost us £50,000 to have this treatment done. And we managed to get it on the NHS. So that was the point that we started talking about starting a charity. We were already a member of some HSCT groups. And there was so much support for us out there that we wanted to give it back in a more official capacity than just sort of groups on Facebook and so on. Right. Not to denigrate them at all. They've been absolutely amazing. If it wasn't for those groups, <laughs> I don't know where we would be now because that's sort of where the, a lot of the information is, surprisingly. So that was sort of where it started. And because we were part of that big community, we said, you know, this is a charity for MS patients. It's not something we want to sort of run from an ivory tower or anything like that. It's it's you're the ones that that should have autonomy with this. So we consulted the HSCT community all around the world a lot. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that was sort of how the charity came about. So we've been going to say for five years now. We support people by giving them information and signposting them to where they need to find the information out about how and where and when they can get HSCT, what the criteria are in the UK, because there are actually five different sets of criteria for HSCT in the UK at the moment, oh, believe it or okay. not. So we, we help people, we answer their questions about the different senses, about the process. You know, we stress that we are not medics at all. All of our peer support consultants who are doing these calls have undergone a basic MS course on the, the biology and pathology of MS. So they've got a basic understanding of it. But it's really about sharing experience and sharing that kind of support and then pointing people towards the experts. So, so that's what we did initially. And in the last few years, we've been able to extend that. So now we help people by offering travel grants for wherever they are having HSCT, whether it's in the UK, Mexico, which is one of the top centres in the world, mm -hmm. and until recently Russia, because they've mm -hmm. obviously with the, the crisis right. there at the moment, yes. we've had to put that on hold because of government advice. But th those are two of the best hospitals in the world when it comes to HSCT. So we support people with grants because that is an easier way for us to help people, because if we tried to pay for the whole treatment, we wouldn't be able to help that many people because we are already mm -hmm. But also there's a lot of red tape and loopholes and, oh, you know, you're paying for somebody to have a treatment overseas. We're not sure about this. And so they can't endorse that. So that's what we we do. And it's it's going really well. As I say, everybody on the committee has either had HSCT or has MS themselves. And they're in it because it's a labor of love. And it's crazy to think, like you said, how expensive it can be. I yeah. did Google it and I got a number that was, it could be up to $150,000. Yes, that was when it was in the US because it was being done by Dr. Burt, 
mm-hmm. of Western in Chicago for a, a long time. And he was doing it as part of his trials, the MIST trials that have really put HSCT on the map because that's the research that people refer to and it had amazing results. Awesome. Uh, he really, he's pioneered this treatment. So that was sort of the, the cost that the, the hospital set, but a lot of people were able to achieve that through insurance. I think when you go through your insurance, the price tends to be higher than it is if you were just paying for it. Right. Yes. That's how they do the billing here. Yeah, yeah it's um, the same here as well. Yeah. Although, Although they I'm... actually get paid what they should get paid, they have to charge twice as much. It seems right. that it's way. a very it's, interesting... Yeah. Yes, yes. I, that's yes. a lot of what I've been dealing with and what I'm uh, trying to tell our audience is this is how the billing cycle works right. so that they can get, kind of understand it and figure mm. out how to work within it. And there yes. are a couple of really great insurance advocates who work here in the United oh, States to help people understand how that really works. That's so needed. Yeah. 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 And it's also if your insurance does cover that treatment. It's a real challenge for people to get it because yeah. it's not the treatment for MS is not seen as FDA approved. The treatment HSCT is an approved treatment. But the thing is that it was it was originally used and invented, I suppose, for uh, leukemia sufferers. And what transpired was that a a patient who had MS as well as leukemia had HSCT and halted the progression of their MS. And that was the point they thought, oh, there could be something in this and started investigating it further. So they can't FDA approve somebody else's stem cells. So that's the part that sort of is the the gray area and it can be difficult for people to get the insurance through for them. But Dr. Burt is still working on this. He's working with Scripps at the moment. That's S-C-R-I-P-P-S. And he's still working on the uh, HSCT, but he's also got some incredible ideas and new breakthroughs that are that he's working on as well that that are really really exciting. So he's one to watch most definitely. Oh, definitely, we're gonna put okay. him on the list and get his information. Yes, yeah, so he's, he's someone website. that I so, definitely want to tell my friends about. Maybe they don't yes. know about him. I mean, they're. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, even close enough <laughs> that she yeah. might benefit from getting in contact with. Well, that. he's just released a wonderful book at the beginning of the year called Everyday Miracles. And that book features stories of people that have had HSCT and how it's changed their lives. He actually featured the story of Ames in there as well. And he featured the story of uh, a friend of ours um, called Sherry McGlynn. And she had HSCT a number of years before James. And at that point, she was falling asleep everywhere. You know, she was so struggling with the fatigue. And she was also using two canes to, to walk. Yeah. Uh, and she's she's now running marathons. <laughs> That's how we met her. We appealed oh for somebody to run a mar- the London Marathon because we had a charity place. Wow. And she contacted us. Now she's in Florida. And we said, we're only a certain charity. You know, we can't. And she said, look, now I'm going to cover the cost to come over. I just really want to do this. I want to run London. And then she flew out and did Berlin shortly after that. And then she flew back. And I think she did... Was it Boston? I think it might have been Boston, but she did three marathons almost back to back in the space of a couple of weeks. This is somebody who was using sticks to, to um, walk. Yes. Like you cannot see my head exploding, but it is literally exploding. <laughs> yeah. 
Especially because I'm like, I, I couldn't run down to the end of my street if I wanted to. Oh, yeah. I thought she puts me to shame and I'm supposedly able-bodied, you know. Yes. Amazing. Wow. That is incredible. And there, this yeah. book is just full of stories like that. So it's mm. it's quite overwhelming, really. It really is when you see what it can do. And it's not for everybody. It's not suitable for everybody. It's a, um, a harsh treatment. Some people will be at the stage where it's going to be less likely to have an effect on them. But patients that if they catch it early and they catch it before it's done the permanent damage, because a lot of the damage in, initially in relapsing remitting MS is from a superficial damage. I always say it's a little bit like if I gave you some walking boots and told you to go hiking for the day and the, the boots were two sizes too small for you, you're going to come back with blisters all over your feet. But as soon as you take those shoes off, your feet are going to start to recover and they'll be good as new after a few days when the blisters have gone. But if I took a steamroller and rolled over your feet a few times, you know, even if your feet heal, there's mm. still going to be that damage there. There's still probably right. nerve damage and stuff that's going to be difficult to, mm. to reverse. And this is really where HSCT works the best is when it's with people where that that they've only had that superficial damage. So the nerve damage hasn't really taken hold in the same way. So James, my husband, when he got the treatment a, a lot of permanent damage had already been done but we, we were lucky enough that it stopped it going any further so Amazing. Yeah, great so so it's more preventative well this is really what where a lot of the research is lying at the moment so in the uk right now there is a trial called star ms and what they're really doing for the first time there is offering this to people as a first line treatment so this is where we would like it to go. There's a, there is a lot of, as I say, a lot of research that's happening. There's a particular neurologist here in the UK called Gavin Giovanoni, and he's very, very vocal on social media talking about inverting the pyramid of treatment for MS. So the way that he looks at it is what's happening at the moment, if you can imagine a, py a pyramid and you've got the bottom layer, and that is the very low efficacy drugs, and neurologists are generally quite risk averse. So they would rather put a patient on that and say, well, let's see how it goes. And, you know, that might work for you. Great if it does. If it doesn't, we'll move you up to the next one. And HSCT is right at the top. So he right. says, no, we need to turn this round and hit it hard and hit it fast at the beginning. And then these things can maybe come in as uh, treatments that will just just help to, to keep you at, at that level to, mm -hmm. to some extent. So a, a lot of really interesting research. So I think the STAR MS trial is is going to go a long way to show if that's what they should be doing next. So it's quite exciting. Yeah, sounds like it. Now, a little bit earlier, you had said HSCT, I mean, this is a stem cell transplant, that it is, I guess, one of the things that might be stopping it from being that first level treatment is that it is very aggressive, right? Yes, this is, absolutely. This is a little yeah. bit more dangerous of a, of yeah, a procedure. Definitely. Yeah, so it does. It has a mortality risk attached to it. Mm. I think when uh, many years ago, when this they were first working with this, the mortality rate was somewhere in the region of about 10%, which is pretty high. Mm -hmm. But now it should be around about 0.3%. So that means that 99.7% of patients that have it should be perfectly all right. That's, right. that's the, the theory. But yeah, it's aggressive. And sadly, we've known hundreds of patients now who've had it and that 
50% stacks up. We've known patients that have died as a result of it, unfortunately, and it's very sad. But what a lot of these patients say is, if I don't try, I'll, I'll never know. Right. James said to me, you know, I would have taken a much higher mortality risk than I was told it was because it was just it was it was like a runaway train his his MS the way that it was progressing and he was really frightened about what the future held was he going to end up in a nursing home or mm-hmm. you know what did life look like for him and now he always says now he can he can concentrate on planning for the future and enjoying the future enjoying his retirement and it it's not as much of a of a concern for him anymore which is amazing now Part of that risk is post-procedure, correct? And this yes. was the impetus for the, the cookbook. Exactly. Yes. yes. Because, I mean, what you were talking about earlier, I mean, you're eliminating the immune system. So you cut yes. nothing to be able yes. to fight off, even yes. the most basic of things. And and I yes. wouldn't have thought about this from a cooking perspective. I mean, food oh. for healing, we definitely are going to be doing a, a podcast episode. Yes. Huge a different thing again yeah yeah huge thing but yes. you were actually talking about the the cookbook was because of the microbial nature exactly. of what's yeah. in food and how it's processed and things like that and a lot of things I didn't even think about yeah, we didn't we didn't I mean luckily I'm, I'm a really keen cook I just I love cooking and I uh, love cooking for family and friends and so on so it came quite naturally but we were told at the beginning when he had the treatment, there are certain foods that you can't eat when you've had this treatment. And as you said, it's it's purely from an infection point of view. So it's the foods that are most likely to cause food poisoning. And we all know food poisoning is a horrible thing to have. You know, it's, I think I've had it three times in my life. And each time I thought I was going to die, it was oh, awful. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> but when somebody's got a low immune system and they're weakened in some way, that food poisoning can easily become an infection. And that could turn to sepsis very quickly. And then you're really in a mess. So for somebody that's healthy, yes, it's horrible, but it's going to pass and your body's going to fight it off. But if you've not got those defenses, then you're going to struggle. So it it makes sense to just eat the foods that are not going to cause those problems, that are the least likely to cause food poisoning for this short period. So this neutropenia, when somebody's had chemotherapy, they will get your neutrophil levels back to a certain point before they let you leave the hospital because otherwise you know even just traveling home you could you could pick something up you know you're in isolation when you're in the hospital to prevent any infections and so on they really look after you so they get you to a certain point and then they let you go home but during the first year you can dip in and out of neutropenia so your levels can drop again And the most risky time is during the first six months because it's not just the neutrophils that are recovering, it's the lymphocytes and various other things as well. So everything's sort of recovering at the same rate. You've got a baby immune system, so you have to treat it like a a newborn. So he was told these are the foods that you you mustn't eat. And it was things like a lot of the same things that are on a a pregnancy diet, because, again, it's another thing where your immune system's down a little bit. Mm -hmm. So things like cheeses that are unpasteurized or have got mold on them blue cheeses, anything unpasteurized, anything that has probiotics or good bacteria added to it, rare meat, raw fish, so no sushi, 
being very careful in the way that you, you're handling food and reheating it as well, making sure that food is cooked all the way through, avoiding salads, avoiding most fresh fruit and vegetables. They must be thoroughly cooked all the way through. And then a few little surprises, things like freshly ground black pepper. Put yep, that was garlic. Yes, because <laughs> in the book, carry... I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. So that, that got me as well. So that's one that can carry spores. And so you don't want to do that. If it's being cooked, it's fine. It will kill them. Honey, because honey, it, even heat treating is not going to kill spores that can be found in honey. And that what... one was that one was the surprise for me because oh, honey yes. is antimicrobial, I believe. Yes, yes, yes. So but... I'm just like fresh fruits and honey. Like that would be the first thing I that I would think of. Healthy, healthy. Yeah. Like, oh, berries, fresh honey. fruits and veggies. And then it's I'm like, wait, no. Yes. So it, it was it was an eye opener. And then there was another one. I think probably the one that surprised me the most was bottled water. Better to have it, if you can drink the water where you come from, from the tap, it is better for you to have tap water than it is bottled water because you don't know where it's being stored. You don't know various things about it. So if you must have bottled water, there are certain recommendations for that in the way that it's it's being distilled and, and so on and so forth. So there are quite a lot of things There are in, in my book. <laughs> so this is the, the book, the Nutribenic Cookbook. Yeah. So in the book, I go through that and there are, there are various tables that show you sort of what you can and can't have. So I'm just sort of trying to hold it up here. So we've got sort of the, the tables here that are to do with what veg and, and so on you can have, what meat you can have and what meat you can't have and all sorts of different things uh, in there that might come as a surprise. So I'll go into all of that. And as I say, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist at all. I'm just a really keen home cook who wanted to make sure that James was safe when he was recovering. Right. So that was that was what happened with the book. And I, I at the time, I thought, oh, great, I can add another cookbook to my bookshelf because I've got a whole bookcase <laughs> just cookery books. And I couldn't find anything that really inspired me. A lot of the books that were already out there, and there weren't very many to start with, had on the covers fresh fruit and vegetables and salads. And I thought, well, no, straight away, that's not neutropenic. So I started a group on Facebook to share ideas, share recipes and so on. And that took off quite well. And lots of questions in there. And then foolishly, I said, I will write a book, <laughs> <laughs> which was all well and good when I'd taken time off to look after James, because I took six months unpaid off, off work to look after mm -hmm. him. And so I had the time to, to write the recipes and sort of get, get started on it. But then I went back to work full time we started the charity a year later as well. So there was all of that. Then I started a new job and started my own business. So all of this has sort of been taking place in, in the background. So it has been a labor of love. It's taken years to get it done, but finally it's it's done. And I just wanted to help other people that, that are navigating the same thing that we navigated. And it looks amazing from what I have seen from the, the digital copy you sent me. Like I would not even think, oh, this is for someone who might be sick no, or recovering. Exactly. I'm just like, oh, this looks good. And this looks good. Well, that's what I wanted it to be. It shouldn't feel like a diet. It's just avoid those foods that are 
slightly risky. Now that it's published, I've sent a couple of copies off to my daughters because I wanted them to have a copy and it's got a lot of family recipes in it. Mm -hmm. But really, most of it have just needed sort of slight tweaks here and there. So things like, for instance, my spaghetti carbonara, my cheats carbonara, that's my favourite meal in the whole world. <laughs> and so I had to find a different way to do that because that has raw eggs in it and you can't raw eggs on a neutropenic diet. So little little tweaks like that that uh, that needed to be made, but otherwise it should be a book that can continue to be used after neutropenia because it should right. just be tasty foods. That's that's all. That's what we're interested in. Comfort right. food is very much sort of my my style of food. Right. Me as well. Although yeah. I have to order out. Unlike the two of you, I don't really cook. I don't know if you've seen my my little Instagram video of this is not a cooking show. <laughs> you know Maybe. i i try well, <laughs> well when you get your cookbook you'll have to try yeah, it. exactly i actually i found one of the recipes and i was so glad you did this there was a chicken and mushroom with pasta dish that oh, yeah. i'm really looking yeah. forward to cook actually and you put in there about vegetarian substitutions and also gluten-free because yes. for people with autoimmune, a lot of them have gluten intolerance. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not celiac, but it's enough yeah. that it'll trigger yes. your immune system. Yeah. Well, my, my eldest daughter has a different condition, completely unrelated. It's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Oh. And she has found that uh, gluten is something that makes her feel terrible really bad and has and left put her in hospital a few times with it she's not celiac she asks for that so before she left home we were already quite used to cooking with gluten-free ingredients so a, a lot of it most of the recipes in the book are already gluten-free or there's a suggestion well you can use gluten-free pasta or something that will make it gluten-free and suggestions for vegetarian options and there's a table at the back that suggests substitutions so you could use this instead of this and right. and so on yeah Very now important. <laughs> aside from someone dealing with ms and coming off of the hsct treatment who else might this cookbook be good for so it would really be helpful to anybody that's got a low immune system for whatever reason it might be so somebody that's undergone chemotherapy, for instance, it could be useful to, to them because, again, you don't want an infection when you've just had chemotherapy. Now, a friend of mine had chemo a few years ago and she'd worked with children previously and she said, no, you know, I couldn't even go back into the schools for a while because my immune system hadn't recovered sufficiently. So definitely uh, good for somebody like that. I have a friend from school who has, I think, idiopathic neutropenia. Because when I was writing this book, he said, you know, I'm neutropenic, don't you? I said, no, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, so it's a condition that, that I've got. So I said, right, I'll, I'll send you a book, definitely. <laughs> so lots of, of different possibilities why somebody might have a, a low immune system. And, and this would be suitable for, for them if they're not on a special diet. But even if they are, they could make adaptions to, to it. So when... I was putting it together. I put a secret group together where I invited a few people to test the recipes because I wanted to make sure that they worked and they worked for them and I could tweak them and what have you. And one of the, the people in that group was had just undergone HSCT and so was following this because she was neutropenic, but she also followed the OMS diet, which is specifically for MS, so no dairy, no 
certain fats, various different things that she couldn't do. So quite often the recipes would come up and she'd say, well, I can't have that because it's got coconut in it. What could we do instead? So we'd just say, well, we'll try it like this or try this instead. And, you know, that might work. And even just the other day, because I still post foodie pictures because I just like cooking. And I I put a a sandwich on because we'd done an afternoon tea because it was Easter. And there was a sandwich that I'd made that had a, a sort of a herby blueberry jam and maple bacon and brie. And so not definitely not neutropenic. And she said to me, she's out of neutropenia now. And she said, oh, well, how can I make this that's an OMS friendly version? So I said, well, I suppose you could use a, a vegan brie. You could use a vegetarian uh, bacon for, for this. And the blueberry bit, that would be absolutely fine. You could use a gluten-free bread. Said, oh, yeah, yeah, I could. So, so there are always ways around it where you can tweak things and just sort of put your own spin on them. That actually sounds so delicious. I'm hungry now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And how or where can people get a copy of your book? I believe you said it was being released on April 18th, which will be before this episode airs. So it will be available in two places. It will be available on Amazon in hardback, paperback and Kindle. And it will also be available in paperback on the AIMS website, which is aimscharity.org. So people can get it through either option. Now, when you reached out about the cookbook, I saw that this was kind of almost like a fundraising. Yeah. So in addition addition to the cookbook. Yes, yes, yeah. So initially, when I first got the idea, I said, I'm going to write a cookbook and all of the proceeds are going to go to Ames. And then it took years of my life. (laughs) So um, my my husband, he's a lot better with numbers and figures and he does all our finances and that kind of thing. And he said, look, you can't do that. It's taken years. You need something back for the the time that you put into it. It's been a labor of love, you know, give a percentage. So the charity is still getting a percentage, a decent percentage of of any sales. But yes, he said, no, you should you should really get something back because you you worked so hard on this. Absolutely. Absolutely, so that's laid, I, laid plans, but it, yeah, it, it seems fair because it, it has taken so long. People are already saying, oh, are you going to do a sequel that's desserts and starters? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no way. This is the one and only. Um, this, this will be the end of it. But hopefully this will have enough in it because it's just dinners. Right. So hopefully it will it will be enough for for people to to get started. And also, I've, I've tried not to make the recipes too complex. I've put after each recipe a difficulty level. So a lot of the difficulty levels are sort of one, two, or three out of ten. There are a few that maybe go up to seven or eight that are a bit more sort of dinner party style recipes, but right. still nothing too taxing. Because as I said, I'm not I'm not a chef. I'm not somebody that's trained in any of this. So anybody should be able to do it. But most of the recipes should be manageable for somebody that that is recovering because you know you've only got so much energy exactly just thinking that yes they're going to be cooking for themselves yes yeah Mm -hmm. so it's the cleanup all of that there was that was what I liked about the I'm going back to the chicken mushroom episode I'm kind of obsessed with it right now because it was almost like a one pot recipe yeah, you know, a lot it was, of, you know, yeah. try to use the the least amount of yes, yeah. cookware yeah. as possible because yeah, you don't have extra it's energy. Easy. No, exactly. It's tiring. I mean, James was was fortunate in this. Well, for, he probably wouldn't say he was fortunate having two teenage <laughs> girls in the house and me, but we, we were three women 
rallying round after him and we had a rotor of the cleaning jobs that we do and making sure that he didn't have to put himself at a, at any risk there but had he been on his his own I would have wanted him to be eating properly I wouldn't have wanted him to be just eating frozen ready meals that kind of thing because right. this was a certain amount of nutrition even though you're not getting your fresh fruit and fresh vegetables you can still eat healthily and, and with variety and my favorite which I made and then I'm going oh, to make God. a cooking video for our Instagram page was the chicken Kiev. Oh, yeah. I loved it. It was oh. simple to follow. It was so tasty and delicious. Like everyone, yeah. like my kids, it was like, oh yeah, 10 out of 10. Yes. Oh, so, that's so nice. I used yeah. to make that a lot when my elder daughter still lived at home the one that eats gluten-free I don't think I put that one as a gluten-free one in the recipe book but obviously all you'd need to do would be to to make sure you're using the gluten-free bread and so taste not yes, yes. so it's what good. are some of your favorites from the so book I've got a lot of favorites um I think probably my my favorite of all is the fabulous fish pies one that's one that we've been cooking for a, a long time and it just tastes very luxurious and, and decadent and tastes as if it's a lot more complicated to make than it actually is because there are just two or three steps. It's reducing, reducing, reducing to, to have a sauce and then sort of boiling the fish in, in the sauce and then it goes in the oven with a potato topping. But I love that one to the point that when I make that one, I make double quantities so that we can have it again the next night because yes. we, it's nice. so tasty. The kids love that one as well. And then there are some special family recipes in there. So my late mother-in-law, Pauline, she took Indian cookery classes for wow. a period of time. And she used to make a, a chickpea curry dish. And she'd always bring this out when we had barbecues. And it was delicious, hot or cold, this chickpea curry dish. And she hand wrote this recipe out for me. And it's something that we've we've just used constantly ever since. So my daughters, they really like it as well. They still use that one as well. So that's a really, really special recipe because it always brings back memories of happy times mm -hmm. when she's with us. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of other uh, recipes in there that are sort of inspired by or from other family members. So my auntie is Italian and she uh she had oh so she, <laughs> so she had a, a spaghetti bolognese recipe that was the one that my mum used in the 60s and 70s and 80s and when when I was growing up and my sister so that's a special one as well because that was that was her Zia Paola's recipe which was a special one yeah there are they're mostly family favorites that's that's sort of the whole inspiration for the book was comfort food that that we've all enjoyed eating so yeah lots of favorites in there and hopefully some wonderful. favorites for other people <laughs> oh wonderful well that is so wonderful to hear I'm looking forward to getting mine in the mail so because I like as we so talked about before I like physical book copies so yes, the digital one you sent me was great but I'm like I can't wait to have oh, it yeah. in my hand <laughs> do you have anything else coming up with Ames yeah, so, cookbook has has debuted. Yeah, we're really excited because we've we've not really had a get together for a number of years because of COVID. I think the right. same for for everybody. So we had a a launch event five years ago. Five years ago this this autumn, which was really well attended by people that have had HSCT all over the world. So these were people we'd been communicating with as a community who finally got to meet each other face to face. 
We had people that had been treated together, perhaps in Mexico, who were then able to, from different countries, who were then able to come together and see each other. We had the, the doctor from Mexico. He came over for the launch. We had the doctor from Russia. He came over as well. We had so many people there and it was just a really uplifting evening and a great fundraiser as well. So ever since then, people have been saying, when are you doing another one? When are you doing another one? And so we're finally getting around to it, but we're doing something a little bit different this time that's not been done before. And what it is, is we're planning a conference during the daytime where we're inviting these practitioners to speak, but it's going to be a very patient-centered conference. It's not really for the practitioners, it's for the patients to get the answers that they want and to speak to these doctors themselves. But as well as covering HSCT, we want to cover other areas as well. So we're hoping to get somebody there who really has, has excellent knowledge about diet and has, has followed a particular diet for nearly 25 years now, who is doing phenomenally well and various other patient advocacy groups. We want different charities there. So we're planning a conference and an exhibition in the daytime, followed by a black tie fundraiser in the evening. Oh. And that's taking place in Sheffield in England. But we, we will welcome anyone from anywhere in the world to that. Anybody that wants to come over and join us, we would just be delighted to see you. So it's going to be a good... road trip. Yes. Yeah. Road trip. Airplane trip. <laughs> Airplane trip. <laughs> it would be amazing to see you. We'd love to see you. Let me tell you, it was so wonderful to speak to you. The yeah. work you do is amazing. Again, as two people with slightly lesser versions <laughs> of the extreme autoimmune spectrum, hearing about these treatments and the people who are there to be kind of a family to you while you're doing these yes. treatments. It yes. makes my heart happy. Yes, me too. That's what it's about, isn't it? And it's it's about, which is you're doing as well. You're paying it forward. You're sharing the information with the people. And that's that's what we're here for, I think, yes. to help each other and yes. to learn. Right. Well, awesome. I, I will let you go and-, and Okay. Continue with the rest of your day, but thank you so, so much for giving us this platform. It's and, really helpful. And thank you for reaching out. We we live for this stuff. We I mean, literally. Oh, it's great. It's great. And I'll be sharing what you're doing a lot awesome. from now on. Thanks well. for the cookbook. Wonderful. Oh, more <laughs> use out of it than I will, but but my mom <laughs> might actually, because her, her significant other right now is actually going through chemotherapy. Oh gosh, as is as is, is my dad. Yes. My dad is currently doing chemotherapy and dialysis. So, so actually, that's why I got to help. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, anything good luck else. With all, of that. all that Thank as well. Thank you. And it was wonderful to meet you and we'll definitely <laughs> keep in touch on Instagram and wonderful. That's great. We'll stay in touch and, and yes, yes. I'm sure we won't be strangers now. It's been oh, so nice to meet you. Definitely not. Yeah, so nice to meet you too. Have a great evening. We will do. And enjoy your weekend. Yeah, will do. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us and our special guest, Allison, from Ames Charity. We will have the links to her book on our website, and please go give Ames a follow on social media as well to watch their progress while helping people on their MS and HSCT journeys. Now that we've discussed our ideas, are there any recommendations about today's topic that you'd like to share? Drop us a comment on Instagram or become a Patreon member for special perks and bonus content. For a complete list of products, services, 
or other content mentioned in today's podcast, visit the links page on our website. Next week, we're taking our postponed mental health day and enjoying a blast from the past as we swing through the trees with our first live podcast, an ode to Georgia the Jungle, Brendan Fraser. Kick up your feet, grab your popcorn, and join us as we reminisce about our favorite Oscar-winning actor. Thanks for joining us. I'm Lori. And I'm Dallas. And this is the Two Redheads Walk Into a Podcast. The Two Redheads Podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. As with all our platforms and content, this podcast represents our own current personal views. These opinions do not represent those of any people, institutions, or organizations that we may discuss, mention, or recommend to our audience. At various times, we may provide reviews of products, services, or other resources. Any such reviews will represent the good faith opinions of the authors. You should conduct your own due diligence and should not rely solely upon any reviews provided by the authors. The products and services reviewed may be provided to the company for free or at a reduced price to incentivize a review. For more information about the disclosure of incentives received in exchange for providing reviews of these products, please contact support at tworedheadswalkintoapodcast.com. We are not licensed healthcare professionals, and our personal experiences addressed are what works for our bodies. None of what we say should be taken as medical advice. Please refer to your own physician for any medical needs and concerns.